This is the Education Gadfly Show. It's not all just fun and games at Hogwarts. Right. You can also sometimes get right. like murdered by a troll in the back. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming our special guest for this week, the Dumbledore of Education Reform, Joshua Starr. Welcome, Josh. Thanks so much for having me. First time I've ever been called a wizard, but hopefully not the last. Boom, there it is. Well, as Alyssa Schwank, who is also here with us, hello, hey, Alyssa, Mike. pointed out, it is now this week the 20th anniversary of the Harry Potter books. And you said you read them when they first came out. I did. It really, uh, my oldest friend actually sent it, uh, sent me the first one. I was like, you have to read yeah. this. I got immediately hooked, and uh, every summer, or every other summer in Cape Cod, I would read it, then my wife would read it. Yeah. My older son, who's 14, has read the whole series nice. maybe six or seven times. Wow. Mm-hmm. Nice. We're a Harry Potter but, but family. But let's be clear that when you first read it, you were in your 20s. I was in my 20s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so, so yeah. I, I'm, just, I'm just putting that yeah. out. So Dumbledore was a reference to the fact that I'm now old. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Wow. No, old, Smooth, but also, Mike. Yeah. No, I'm just saying, you know, Wise. some of us had better things to do in their 20s yeah, yeah, yeah. than to read children's books. Hey, I no, will have kidding. you know, I, I read the it. last one when I was in my 20s. Yes, I, I was too busy uh, working 80 hours a week for Checker Finn to read Harry Potter books. Sounds familiar. Yes. But uh, I am, you know, my, my oldest son has read the first one. You know, he resisted for a long time. He he had this thing he did. I'm just not one of those kids that likes fantasy. You know, he had decided. There are high schools he that likes history. Quidditch teams. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Quidditch teams Wait, in high school. What do they, yeah. they can't fly. What? You, you I run around on broomsticks. Uh, I did an article yeah. about it for the college newspaper like yeah. 10 years ago. No, yeah. it's cool. There was a great piece on NPR the other day about, about just the love of parents have for this book and, and love passing it on to their kids. And it's, it is great for these books, I should say. And well, that, what do you think? I mean, 100 years from now, are people still going to be reading these books? Oh, yeah, absolutely. They're absolutely. classics. Fittingly, I'll tell you quick. So yeah. we are getting a puppy and we are na- yeah. naming the puppy Watson uh, because because we wanted to name it after someone in Harry Potter yeah. can't, and uh, can't do Hermione. Mm-hmm. My wife's name is Emma, so uh-huh. we can't do Emma. Ah. And we're like, you know what? A Watson for Emma nice. Watson after. It's sort of a Cockney rhyming way of getting to uh But it gets there. It, but it gets there. Yeah. yeah. So... Well, Josh is the Chief Executive Officer of Phi Delta Kappa International, PDK, uh, formerly the superintendent in Montgomery County, Maryland, where my kids go to school, which gave me double reason to give them a hard time from time to time. And you were always <laughs> very polite about it. You were always, always. very very generous. I don't I don't have <laughs> to be polite and generous anymore. I know, I isn't that great? I, I mean, say whatever I want. You know yeah. when you're taking a job in the D.C. area, you're going to have to deal with, well, parents, parents like Mike. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> just, and uh, do, do you, is, is that a negotiating thing? You say, look, I'm going to have to deal with these goddamn DC area parents and these policy wonks. I need a little bit extra salary in order to uh, to justify that. No, it was no. not a negotiating <laughs> tactic, but perhaps, you know, it should have been. Maybe it should have been. All right. Well, we got lots to talk about. It is the, uh, you know, the, the school year has ended, at least in most places, but ed reform marches on. At least there's the last gasp before people uh, go away on the 4th of July. We got lots to talk about. Let's do our Ed Reform Update. All right, Josh, <laughs> lots of news this week. There there was a big Supreme Court case uh, that came to a conclusion that has some implications for vouchers. There's been some voucher studies that have come out. There's been an analysis of ESSA plans. We're not going to talk about any of that. Right, you know good. why? <laughs> because we also came out with a study this week, and it is on a topic of a student engagement. It's called What Teens Want from Their Schools, a National Survey of High School Engagement. And, you know, we brought you on because we know this is an issue, student engagement, that you've cared about a lot for your whole career. 
career, it, you know, K to 12, but I think you've had a particular interest in high schools as well. Before we talk about the report, t- tell me, what, what's your take? Is, is your basic uh, thesis that school is too boring for a lot of kids today? I mean, is that fair well, to say? First, let me say, I, I love the title of your report, particularly <laughs> because for the last two years, the presentation I've been giving on the PDK poll results has yeah. been what the public wants from yeah, the school. Nice, so nice. I appreciate the You homage. have influenced us. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, engagement is critically important to measure. I'm really glad that you guys are adding to the field. Um, yeah. There are others that have been doing the work. You're now taking it to another level. It's, yeah. it's really important to look at. School's boring. Right. I mean, it, it's a, just a fact uh, that for too many kids, uh, school, middle school, high school, it's just boring. Yeah. Um, and, you know, your, your report, I think, is really interesting in the way you segment different students. I hadn't uh, seen yeah. anybody do anything like that before, so I think it's interesting. But I think the real question becomes, what do we do about it, right? Now yeah. that we know it, so what? What do yeah. we do? Mm-hmm. But I think it reinforces what we know, right? And one of the other interesting things I found about the report, the kids aren't the problem. Right. The kids yeah. are saying we want to learn, we want to be engaged, we want to do stuff. We're perfectly willing. Yeah. You just got, you know, we're here, teach me. Right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so that's yeah. that's what we were really And it's not, at. you know, I look back on my days when I did uh went through ed school at the University of Michigan to get my teaching certificate. And I I remember some assignment or discussion. I, I had made this analogy. I said, you know, when I am a summer camp counselor, the kids they love swimming. It's they, you know, mm-hmm. why can't if we could just, you know, think about how to make school more like swimming in summer, it would be great. Well, that would, I look back and I'm like, that's kind of dumb. Like, like kids, <laughs> I'm sorry, like kids, there's certain things like we need our young people to learn about everything, the 10,000 years of human history that has come before them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and to get some of that exposure to them, it can't just be, you know, well, if we just turn school into Harry Potter school, sure, that would be fun and engaging, but that nece- wouldn't necessarily pre- prepare them for, you know, life in I'm- in 21st century America. I mean, if you've read the books, which I, you clearly have not, it's not all just fun and games at Hogwarts. Right. You can also okay. sometimes get right. like murdered by a troll in the back. Plenty of social and you have, well, and, and you have to learn, if you're at Hogwarts, you have to learn hard skills, yeah. right? And the, the consequences, let's say the consequences <laughs> can be death. Yes. You have to learn yes. hard skills and then you have to apply those all skills all to all a problem, right? right? Fine, That's fine, learning. Fine, 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 right. fine, yeah. fine. But, uh, but that there is a way to bring this stuff alive and that, uh, and that's important and that's not just a nice to have, mm-hmm. that's a must have. The kids are reporting. We've seen this from the previous research. Engagements related to achievement, but also the lack of engagement is a huge reason why kids drop out because they say, hey, I'm 15, 16, 17. I'm bored to death. I don't see how any of this is relevant to my life. I don't feel like anybody cares about me at this school. So forget about it. And that's hugely problematic, right? And what we did do in this study was to, rather than just say, on average, what engages kids or you know, what percentage of kids are engaged by this or that? Are they engaged cognitively or are they engaged? It's to be able to, as you say, segment. Uh, the way that marketers think about this mm-hmm. is to say, they don't care about what the average person wants out of a car. They, they right, that right. doesn't, that's meaningless. They say, you know, are there, you know, 10 or 15 or 20 different niches out there and we should design a car for each of them. And so what we did is we, we looked for that. We found six, uh, the subject lovers uh, who really love, you know, the subject math and science or history that really engages them. The emotionals. Uh, these are the people who uh, tend to be that there's a lot of connection and positive emotions when they're in the classroom, although they don't tend to have much connection to school beyond the classroom, extracurriculars mm-hmm. or school pride. The hand raisers. These are interesting too. Mm-hmm. When they're in the class, Super engaged, yep. but yep. don't do a lot of homework. You know, they, they got to be in the moment. 
the social butterflies. This is, you know, the sort of the, the jocks, the cheerleaders. I mean, you know, this is where you can make the Molly Ringwalls, yep. the breakfast club analogies. Teacher responders, where it's so important that the relationship with the teacher, that's important to all kids, but these kids in particular. And then the deep thinkers, where these ones are a little bit hard to describe, but they, they uh, you know, they are cognitively engaged, but they do not seem all that engaged in other ways. Um, and and this is one where I think we're really not serving these kids very well. Mm-hmm. They're, they're kind of uh, the ones that are likely to be uh, tuned out if we're not careful. So we've got these different kind of kids out there. And then the question is, well, so what? Right. Uh, you know, one take, and we've said this, although we do, I think we were careful not to push it too much, is, you know, argues for some kind of customization, maybe choice, not necessarily choice between schools, but within schools, you know, can't, one size fits all doesn't, isn't going to work with the different kids. But what do you think, Josh? I mean, you ran a big, huge, you know, got 150,000 kids in Montgomery County. How do you so think it, about getting kids engaged in those? It high certainly schools? doesn't surprise me that, you know, choice becomes the, uh, the, the conclusion that you well, guys reach. Well, we, and I think, we were I, soft you know, about it. We as, didn't as overdo it. About, as, you know, as I've written about, it, I think I think we do have to consider what the choice agenda should look like. You yeah. know, and when you have increasingly rigorous standards from the states that say this is the exact path the kids have yeah. to take, when there's really no evidence that algebra two is you know the only way to teach abstract thinking, right. absolutely essential right. for success in life. Yet right. The state legislature requires it. I think yeah. should we offer kids those kinds of choices? Right. What does it mean for the Carnegie unit? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. What does it mean when you have accountability systems like you have in Montgomery County and many other places that are organized around advanced placement and IV yeah. and SAT? And how does yeah. that, yeah. you know, so, so I think we have yeah. to look at how our current accountability reform movement has mm-hmm. narrowed the curriculum, has focused on very single, yeah. you know, singular mm-hmm. measures. Yeah, um, again, especially success. in high school. I mean, look, right. I, I can make yeah. the case that the K-8 to program, you know. There should should be fair. I mean, you can make the case to look pretty much everybody should have a. There should be a universal system K to eight. Maybe I mean some some maybe around that the canon edges. of knowledge. But once you get to high school, to there's got to be pathways, including career and technical education, which is having a moment again. It's having a moment. And it's I'm got, concerned about that moment. And people really want career and technical ed. So yeah. the reason I'm concerned about it and and uh, is a couple of reasons. One, and our poll shows us right. People want career skills. They yeah. actually favor career skills over academic skills. Yeah. Something mm-hmm. like two to one. I'd have to go right. back and look exactly at the data, but that's been pretty consistent. But we also know what happened about a hundred, you know, years ago yeah. when this, when in this country, when we had a different population, right, right. different economy, right. and a business community saying we know what to do, and you, right. they ended up, no, 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 you know, absolutely. creating the situation that we have today in many yeah. ways. Mm-hmm. So I'm concerned about how. And an increased focus on CTE might also increase the inequity. That's right. No, no, but no. the important thing, I think, is first measuring it, right? First, you, you got to first measure student engagement at the school level mm-hmm. and see what kids say about the environment they're in. And then you got to have conversations yeah. with your teachers, yeah. with your kids, and bring students into the picture say, what do you think? What would be more engaging? Yep. Um, you know, I was just coming from our Educators Rising Conference. Uh, mm-hmm. We just had a thousand kids who were planning on being teachers. When they describe their favorite teachers, they use words like rigorous, mm-hmm. caring, mm-hmm. you know, fun, funny, mm-hmm. things like that. But it's it's really about, does the teacher care about me? And yeah. Do they see me as a person? Do they value me? And do they care about my learning? Right. That's, yep. that's what kids want. Yep. Unfortunately, too many teachers today uh, have been told that the only indicator of their success is whether or not that kid passes, you know, AP or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, if we also build in measures of engagement, yeah. things like that, yep. mm-hmm. that can perhaps, you know, shift the emphasis mm-hmm. in ways yeah. that will promote student engagement. Yeah, I mean, I'd also add that we should do, we can do a better job of educating parents and t- 
kids about like what they want about school and helping them to be more self-aware and understand what options are in their communities Mm -hmm. and around them that will really help them fulfill their potential and make them happiest intrinsically. That's why extracurriculars, right? That's another thing. So, so I would hope that not only is this an opportunity for those who want to advocate for increased choice, Mm -hmm. but those who advocate for extracurricular activities and opportunities for kids to do things outside of the classroom. I mean, Mm-hmm. Frankly, that's what I got the most. Yeah. Now, look, I, school, I, many kids do. I, I, I've long argued that that is America's secret sauce are the right. extracurriculars that that of all the things, you know, you complain, complain about our schools. We do that better than anybody else in the world, I think. And I think it's part of the reason why we do well economically still. People always say, mm-hmm. why is it we do bad on Tim's or Pisa? Or we? And by all means, I am a firm believer that if we had mm-hmm. better skills in reading and math and science, it would help us grow the economy, et cetera, Absolutely. et cetera, right? But uh, when people come from overseas and they try to understand, how is it that you guys keep creating the Steve Jobses of the world? Uh, they, they try to figure out how we teach math. You know, I said, don't look at how we teach math. Uh, look at what happens after school. Look at what happens in the athletic programs, in the arts programs, in the theater programs. And unfortunately, you know. it's only for some kids, right? Yeah. That's, that's, that's the right. equity issue we have, right. right? My kids, your kids, they get all that. But yeah. if you don't have access to it, how should a public yeah. school system be supporting that? Yep. I think is a really yep. important question. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, this is excellent. Josh, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, I think you have inspired me, you and Alyssa, to, uh, <laughs> to push the Harry Potter books. Uh, you will not be disappointed. This is the best decision I will you've say, made all day. You know, last night we read Harvey Potter. Have you ever read that book? Uh, Harvey Potter's Balloon Farm. Amazing picture book. You should no, check it out. It's about a farmer that grows balloons. Still think Harry Potter is better. All right. Well, <laughs> well, don't, don't knock it till you try it. Right. All right. Thanks, Josh, for coming on. It's now time for everyone's favorite Amber's Research Minute. Welcome back to the show, Amber. Thank you, Mike. You know, uh, thanks for coming on the podcast still now that you're a national radio star. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Gotta keep Amber, happy. this week on Marketplace Morning Report. Oh, Boom. man. I kind of stumbled around because, as I told you, I did not record it like the guy uh, asked me to. I gave what I thought was just a riveting interview. Yeah. And the guy had said, you know, hit the play on your iPhone. I thought I hit it. Yeah. It was red. Yeah. Apparently, it turns a lighter shade of red when it's actually <laughs> recording. I'm like, oh, man, I just want to sink under a chair at the end of that interview. <laughs> it's so funny. This is how they do it now for these radio interviews because over the phone, you don't sound as good. So they say, just record yourself right. answering the, our questions That's and then right. email it to us, which works pretty well. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, oh, uh, no. hey, did you? But have you heard from friends and family? I have not yet. I no. have not. Of course, I have. That tells you about the demographic <laughs> of your friends and family, Amber. Why do you, you not go. have people listening? There to there you go. Apparently not. Uh, yeah. Hey, by the way, a lot of talk about Harry Potter earlier. Hmm. You a fan? I'm not. Oh. Guys, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it's a demographic. But uh, it's so universal. Like, yeah. Yeah. Were you out of the classroom by the time that hit? Yes. Yes, I was. I got my first book on my first internet, my second international plane flight and read it. Oh, wow. Scintillating child memories. Uh, I'm still, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. That's my generation. (laughs) Which is really, really bad. Also, and Judy Bloom, right, Mike? I mean, we were Judy Bloom. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And uh, for me, uh, gosh, doc, what was I, the uh, kids uh, that got in trouble all the time? Uh, yeah. Like the, the fudge, the great, the great brain books was yep. a good one for yep. me. Uh, Doctor Doolittle. Yep, 
like that uh, one too. Yeah, if you stuff. go back and read one of my first Ed Week uh, articles, had a Doctor Doolittle a reference that I think yeah. Checker put in. Oh, he right. pushed me, pulled me. Huh. He still wow. puts those into my writing sometimes. Uh-huh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he likes Doctor Doolittle. All right, but we digress. What you got right. for us this week? Because we already talked about your awesome study. I know. Well, so we're gonna do uh, the voucher, latest voucher research. Wow, does this all? I feel like we're just talking about voucher research all the time now, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But this is a big one. Uh, the latest evaluation of the Indiana Voucher Program, obviously. Wait, the latest, the hot, first. Hot topic. Well, it was kind of, they did a little under the wire. Yeah. I mean, there's been, people have been referencing this study right. and it hasn't been officially out. That's right. That's now. right. Which did not make Mark Barron's very happy. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, here it is. Um, he and Joe Waddington examined the impacts of the voucher program on students in upper elementary and middle school. It's mostly grades five through eight, mm-hmm. important, who use a voucher to transfer to a private school during mm-hmm. the 2011, 12 through 14, 15 years. Mm-hmm. So that means first four years of the program. Yeah. And this is the biggest voucher program it now is. in the country. It mm-hmm. is. Uh, you want to know how many students? I'll skip ahead. No. Nah. Right. <laughs> uh, Indiana's programs is now open to both low and modest income families with lower tuition amounts available to the latter group. So mm-hmm. that's a change they made. Uh, but still, the average scholarship amount is pretty paltry. You guys know what it is. It's so paltry. Four thousand. Forty seven hundred yeah. in grades one through eight. All students in private schools enrolling voucher students must take the state tests. Uh, so that's obviously yes. important. About thirty four thousand students, Mike. So yeah. Yep. Uh, received a voucher in 2016-2017. The analyst, the analysis focuses on the roughly 4,000 lowest income students who received the full voucher amount mm-hmm. who move from, again, the public to the private school for the very first time. Mm-hmm. They are matched to similarly poor public school peers in the same grade, year, and school mm-hmm. as the student who received a voucher and attends mm-hmm. a private school the following year. Mm-hmm. And then they also match the two groups on a host of other observable things like mm-hmm. prior test scores and demographics. Um, so they have oh, a similar... But, but no, no controls for selection bias. This is just matching. Well, all, all this is selection bias. This is what you do, right? And then they're well, trying to get... But, you, but there could be... Un, you can't control for all of it. There's no randomization. Right. There's saying. no randomization. Or, okay. That's right. But hey, this is about as good as you get without right. randomization. Um, so they do this propensity score matching, which is yeah. they're trying to figure out if you have similar likelihood of receiving a voucher and they control for all those things. All right. All right. I know you guys are glossing over. <laughs> they find, number one, low-income voucher students are moving into private schools substantially lagging behind their new peers. We knew that. Yep. Up to half of a standard deviation. Mm-hmm. But the headliner is that overall, public school students who switch to a private school score 0.86 standard deviation lower in math compared to their public school peers. The largest losses in math occur during the first and second years. Mm-hmm. The kids are still behind in year four, I mean, year three, mm-hmm. but by year four, those who remain have regained what they lost, mm-hmm. and there's no statistically significant differences between the voucher and the public school kids by then, by year four. Right, but okay. that means that the voucher kids are still behind their peers, I guess. That's okay. right, right. That said, the lowest achieving students who received a voucher and and attended the private school tend to return to the public school. The very lowest of the low Mm. have left. So these later estimates by year four are a little noisier, Mm -hmm. uh, and they may in part be measuring persistence. Yeah. Okay. Do they measure at all the kids' scores once they return to the public school? I am getting to that. As for ELA, there are no significant differences. Both groups perform similarly. Right. um, Overall. Though voucher students attending Catholic schools mm-hmm. see small gains in ELA. Mm-hmm. No idea. We can talk about that. Mm-hmm. Moreover, when looking at achievement over time, voucher students have slightly higher ELA achievement by year four after they've recouped the losses in years one and two. Yeah. Huh. 
What about the exiters? This is Alyssa's mm-hmm. question. Uh, students who receive a voucher then return to public school in a later year score 0.24 standard deviation lower in math and 0.13 standard deviation lower in ELA. So then they're, they're public still, school peers or then right. the voucher stayers? Matched. Then, then they're okay. matched. Right. And then results are similar for both uh, white and black students because sometimes we see mm-hmm. that the African-American yeah. are, are benefiting. So, you know, then there's a bunch of discussion, which we can have here. But um, I think one thing they said is maybe what we're seeing are voucher kids adjusting to their new schools mm-hmm. and their schools adjusting to them. It's hard to tell. Uh, they say, you know, please don't close the book on this research. You know, there's still a lot more to learn. Yada, yada. We're still at the starting gate with start with voucher research. Uh, mm-hmm. So much good stuff here to unpack. I mean, you know, sometimes we feel like, oh, it's just the horse race research and it doesn't mm-hmm. get, but this is starting to give a mm-hmm. little bit more nuance mm-hmm. because of these trends over time and the different trends for different kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes sense to me. These are existing private schools. They have generally served a, you know, middle class or upper middle mm-hmm. class, right. you know, clientele. They have now kids coming in who are probably poorer and lower performing than they're used to. And not probably they, they are. And they are. I'm sorry. <laughs> and the schools uh, have to change the way they work. All of a sudden, they're, right. they're, they got to <laughs> figure out how do we help these kids catch up? We did uh, some really cool state case studies in Ohio a few years ago about what this looks like mm-hmm. in schools. And it's 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 wrenching. I mean, it, mm-hmm. you know, the schools really have to have a moment where they say, okay, if we're going to serve these kids well, mm-hmm. we really, we got to invest in it. We got to change what, mm-hmm. how we do it. We got to right. you know, get some people in here who know how to work with lower performing kids. Right. And we got to decide as a school community, are we up for it? Because mm-hmm. this can be mm-hmm. controversial. Those parents that are paying tuition may not be super excited about all of this. Right. right? Mm-hmm. And, and so- to pretend, you know, that these these private schools were built for a different uh, challenge, a different clientele, and now they got to adjust. Yeah, I'm thinking about my college mm-hmm. preparatory high school that I went to. I never saw one differentiated instruction thingy the yeah. entire time I was mm-hmm. there. You know, we were all the same types of kids, yeah. um, and I'm just imagining like if we had gotten some of these kids yeah. in, like what my teachers would have done, who were used to teaching the way that they teach. And so mm-hmm. this is what you're saying so, rings true for me. And so in Indiana, could they have used admissions requirements if they wanted to? I thought that they could in Indiana. If uh, they wanted to basically cherry pick or cream, they could yeah, have done that. Yeah, and is I'm, that? I'm not sure about that, Mike, but I don't think that they could. When Maybe we did our Indiana? red tape study, yeah. Yeah. I tend to recall that Maybe they weren't in allowed Indiana. to do that. Right. Yeah. Versus mm. in some place like in Ohio, you can. Right. And, in some and, cases, yeah. And, and this is a question. I mean, people intuitively think, oh, well, cherry picking is not fair or creaming is not fair. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, if the, the point is, hey, these schools are going to do a better job if the kids are closer in achievement to the peers. The same thing we're seeing about mm-hmm. virtual schools, right? Yeah, maybe it's okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, you know, uh, because if you're really low performing, mm-hmm. uh, maybe this is not a great option for you. Or at least many of these schools are Are you not really going to wait it out for four years? You're going to bounce out. Yeah. You're going to be worse off than before. And you're going to have to make two you know, changes. You'd be better off going to a charter school that has been built from the ground up to serve low-performing kids and help them catch mm-hmm. up, you know, yeah. if that's mm-hmm. what they're about. I mean, they, But hello, yeah. we care about other things than test scores, too. That's not a cop-out. We really no. do right. want right. to care about these other things that they're picking up in these private schools, you know. And the reasons why the parents might want to be sending them to a particular yeah. one mean, school over the other stuff and you know all these blah, kinds blah, of things blah. <laughs> it's, not cognitive, it's not cognitive stuff that we're still trying to measure and figure out mm. i mean it's not to say no, that, no, no. that that's you know, right. that's you, know right. you know our long-term things. impact yes we care about test you know, scores and other stuff I was about the, the, the religious <laughs> aspect the uh, i always feel like you know the religious schools who could uh, they, I, I want to see something make the argument that they care about long-term impacts and not just long-term as in on this earth 
I think uh, (laughs) I think they have made that. I think why not? Right? I have absolutely seen them. I have absolutely. I will find it on the internet. I've absolutely seen this. (laughs) I mean, eternal salvation. Hello. How do you get? Don't get more long term (laughs) than that. There you go. Okay, we save your kid literally and figuratively. Yes. Yes. Wow. Uh, All right. Well, hey, I, I look, we just had a nuanced conversation about this. Yes. If only the national conversation could be so nuanced. Yes, as well, indeed. Right? Uh, because, uh, you know, this this stuff is, this is, this know, has still a huge are, potential. It, it, right. The point mm-hmm. is that this can be life-saving for lots of kids, but it also can be a bad fit for some kids. And, right. uh, you know. Tying and it back to, to our okay study. With that, right? Yeah, yes. and tying it back to our study, one size does not fit all. Yes. Good job, There Alyssa. you go. And Black. don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. How many other little uh, little things can we yeah. think of before Good. we end? All right. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to cut it off. Mike before we okay, yeah. thank you, Amber. That is all the time we've got for this week. Until next time. I'm Melissa Schwenk. And I'm Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net. Thank you.